You may be seated. So the passage that Haley read earlier is filled with story and drama. And for many of us, it's a familiar passage that we hear every year in some form. And it would be my nature and tendency uh, to move through the passage slowly and teach through every little section and walking through the drama of it all as if we were a part of the story in some way. But tonight, I'm not going to do that. And there was much rejoicing. Tonight, it's all about just this one verse for me. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Now, this one verse alone has all sorts of stuff to work with, for sure. I mean, there's the subject of fear and the often repeated command in Scripture to not be afraid. There's the meaning of the phrase good news, like what is that? Three, there's the journey to find out what kind of joy this good news brings, and so on. But tonight I'm only interested in the last four words of the verse, which are for all the people. Those words are inclusive and inviting. There's a tone of solidarity and connection in these words. And when we listen to what they are saying, we end up hearing about a God whose heart of love and mercy and justice and salvation comes ready for all people everywhere. And in a real way, these words frame the whole birth narrative. The story of Jesus' birth comes at us as a story for everyone. And every year we engage with this passage or the other one in Matthew's gospel, and we try and think back to the night when Jesus was born. We try and imagine what it must have been like to give birth in those unsettled and unsterile conditions. We think about Mary and Joseph as two first-time parents, scared and lonely, going into labor away from home. It's why doctors tell you, expecting mothers never to travel or go anywhere during their final trimester of their pregnancy. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. But there they were, obligated by a national census. They traveled to their ancestral city to register. And so we're drawn into the drama of the whole thing, The overcrowding of a small town must have been as stressful as the overcrowding of a young woman's womb. As the pains of childbirth came on strong enough for her to look at Joseph and say, Bro, we need to find a place to stay. This thing is happening. And as we know, they were too poor to attract any real help from the local community, so they settled for someone's sheep's stall. No one would notice. The shepherds were all out working in the fields anyway, at least for now. And because none of us are shepherds, we mentally switch out the manger scene for something that we can picture. And the still frame that fills our mind's eyes pictures for us a humble scene, something far less than the famed Northside Hospital, like maybe a truck stop or a cheap hotel in the middle of nowhere. But we all instinctively know that it was far worse than that. It's not just the Red Roof Inn somewhere in purgatory on I-16 between Macon and Savannah. It's the ugly wooden gazebo near the dumpster next to the Red Roof Inn with the broken picnic table decorated with obscene graffiti and that has the words Pink Floyd that were carved in with a knife some years ago. There's the built-in grill next to the table that's filled with trash and empty bottles, still giving off enough smell to keep the homeless dog from leaving. The mess reminds us that it's a borrowed space for temporary use, easily and quickly forgotten. It's humble. 
It's an odd beginning for the life of a king, isn't it? From the beginning, the story of Jesus was to be told and heard and understood and believed as a story of divine solidarity. Though he was God, he became a man. But before he was a man, he was a child of poor Jewish parents. And before that, he was a baby, lying in a borrowed stall, literally a short walk from Herod's palace, a wonder of the ancient world that stood as a towering reminder that your life was not your own and that you were living a borrowed existence that was at the mercy of a sovereign empire. And so John opened his gospel with these words, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, in the ancient world, the gods were to be sought after and then appeased with offerings of sacrifice. The gods were not with the people in any way. They were either for you or against you, but never with you. They were always over there somewhere, and humans were simply providers and servants of the gods, purchasing their mercy with their deeds. And so John's opening words about Jesus are culturally upstream. God not only entered his creation, but he lived here for a time. But not over there somewhere, but here, he says, among us. For John, this was more than real. He personally walked around with Jesus. He shared meals with Jesus. He watched Jesus cry at funerals and so on. And so when John says among us, for him, that really meant that God was among them, doing life alongside them as a man in the flesh. And for us, it's a reminder that God's, the God that we love and trust, though he is above all things, he was not above making his home with us. I love the way the message version of the Bible writes that verse saying, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. John begins his gospel with the simple message said in a very profound way, and that is that the good news of Jesus is for all the people. Famously, Jesus defined his own ministry and calling in his words recorded in John 3.16, which say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that riff that many of us are quite familiar with, it doesn't just hang on some theological rafter about what God is doing through his son Jesus. Nor is this verse only about the wideness of God's love and mercy, that he would come here in the form of a man to be with us and love us and die for us in the end. And though it's a nice concluding downbeat, this is not just about the eternal life that God offers, though that is certainly a great end result of our faith and trust in Jesus. The heart of this verse for me is, the, is in the word whoever. A word that isn't spoken directly to us, but it certainly includes us. It's a descriptive word that doesn't come with a set profile. It doesn't have a central category or a stereotype. With this word, there are no associated neighborhoods, backgrounds, financial standings, races, or languages. There are no boundaries with a word like this. It's really a safety word at the end of an acceptance speech when we've left someone off the list. Whomever, we forgot to thank. It's nameless, but every name can be included. The Greek word for whoever is the word pos, and it means exactly what we see in the text, whoever. There's no real hermeneutical problem with this word, which makes it much easier to understand the whole verse. It's right in the middle. 
that God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world with the calling of helping people find their way back to God and back into a life that God offers. And that life is for the taking by whoever wants it. It's a good mission statement for a church as well. Who's your target audience? Whoever. Whoever walks through those doors. Whoever wants it. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is continually pictured as a man who was with all kinds of people from every background and every belief system. Luke was very intentional about making sure that you and I, when we read about Jesus, that we would collide with story after story of Jesus in all sorts of contradictory places, loving and befriending all kinds of contradictory people. Jesus was a frustration for everyone because he hung around with anyone. He was impossible to categorize socially, politically, and religiously. The moment you think he's conservative, he says something liberal. And the moment you think he's liberal, he says something extremely conservative. Right when the Jewish leaders would gain interest in his inspired and godly teaching, they would then accuse him of hanging out with sinners. The moment the 99% would claim his as theirs, they would catch him eating dinner in the home of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector of Jericho, the Bernie Madoff of that city, the 1%. Paul lived this way too, something he learned from Jesus. He says, I have become all things to all men so that by all means possible, I might save some. Paul also wrote in his letter to the Philippians some of the most captivating prose about the coming of Jesus. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest demonstration that God could show that he was serious about rescuing his people was to come here as a man and live among us and with us and eventually die for us. To prove that he was approachable, he approached us first. He came to us. In 1997, I was reading the AJC, probably the last time, and there was a full-page ad that was all black with white words written in the middle that said, religion is man reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. When Jesus died, the scriptures tell us that the curtain in the temple tore in half. And that curtain separated the everyday man from the presence of God and the privilege of priests. And when it fell to the ground in two pieces, the message was clear for all the people. Those old colors were dead. And the first thing the shepherds in the field heard that night were the words, Do not be afraid. In Luke's gospel, that's the third time those words appear. It's a powerful way to begin the story of Jesus. My favorite sticker is on the wall of a local mellow mushroom that says, Jesus is coming, so look busy. That's pretty much how we see it, isn't it? The thought of God being close by is stressful. And though his presence can be and should be a bit unsettling to us, simply because our lives cannot compare with his glory, 
The message of the scriptures is that we do not need to be afraid, that we do not need to worry if we will meet his expectations or fit into his schedule. We do not need to be afraid of what he will think of us if he will move on to someone else who is more prepared for his love and mercy. No, the good news of Jesus that brings great joy is that God's love and mercy and salvation is for all the people. As we take communion, I'd just turn your attention to that upper room where Jesus is breaking the bread and passing it around the table and then the cup passing it around the table. And each time he says something like this, this is my body broken for you or given for you. And I think about that room and like who was in the room, like for you, who's hearing that? A few blue-collar, hard-working fishermen, uh, a wealthy tax collector, a military zealot, and a traitor. I'd say that's everyone for you. Hard-working people, wealthy people, betrayers, zealots, for all the people. He died for you, born to die on this night, and we celebrate that. It's been a long Advent season for us, although it's the standard five weeks, four weeks. But we've been down deep into the scriptures just learning about our need for salvation. But tonight we come out of that with this great announcement that to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And he brings peace that passes all understanding. And that message is not just for the elite, but for all the people. Amen. I'll pray and then we'll move to uh, one of the four tables. There's communion there. And uh, you can light your candle and return to your seat. Just remain standing as you return uh, and we'll sing uh, together. Father, thank you for this night. Uh, Thank you for uh, just the depth of what's happening in this room because it's connected to who knows how many churches are meeting at this very moment about the same story, reading the same scriptures, praying perhaps the same prayers. And God, as we move to the tables and take communion tonight, it's not just as one church uh, uptown in the city of Atlanta on this small piece of property, but this is a big picture thing that all over the world, your people are celebrating your birth. And we're humbled to be a part of that story. We're humbled to be a part of the larger church community. And God, we just thank you so much for what you've done here and just in our time together tonight, just the joy of singing together and just being together. So God, just turn our hearts to you as we take the bread and drink the juice. Let it remind us of not only the cost of what your son went through, but most of all tonight, just the love and the magnitude of your grace. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.